0: Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Welcome to Paris Valley Community Church. We are so thankful that you are here today. And we're, we're thankful that you're in the chat room. You're either in the Facebook chat room or in the YouTube chat room. For If you know somebody who doesn't have Facebook, call them, let them know. We're on YouTube right now and, uh, and, and they can join us. I think I saw Paul and Angie out there in the chat room. Uh, Bob and Anna. Anna, I think I think I saw you, Bernadette's in the YouTube chat room, happy Mother's Day, Uh, the the Melendez family's here, so happy Mother's Day and thank you to those who are here in the chat room today. Um, I I also want to uh, wish a happy Mother's Day to to my mother who's here, who's watching on the Facebook feed right now. Say, you know, happy, happy Mother's Day. You should have somebody knocking on your door. You should have a gift coming from Amazon later today. So if it's, if it's not outside yet, it'll be there in a little while. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Um, also a celebration of our church. Today is our two-year birthday. Our church launched, our very first Sunday church service launched on Mother's Day of 2018. So Mother's Day is always going to be a celebration for us. So um, prayers and thankfulness that the Lord has been with this ministry to allow us to get to, to two years and to be able to minister. So thank you. Uh, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for all of your, your work and attention to God's word and obedience to, uh, to God's desires for our hearts through this, through this time. I'd ask you to open your Bibles with me to the Old Testament book of Exodus. And we're going to be in chapter 20 as we continue in a sermon series called, Do the Ten Commandments Still Matter? Not only is our study today on the second commandment, not only is it the second commandment, but it's the second commandment of the first first four commandments. That makes sense, right? But the first four commandments out of the ten, those focus on our relationship with God. The next six commandments focus with, on our relationship with others. So this morning, when we look at the second commandment, we're looking at our relationship with God. Now there are some faith groups who will take the second commandment and combine it with the first commandment, And then take commandment number 10, split it in half, and and now have 10 commandments. The second commandment that we're going to study today is intended from the original author of this, in the original language, being its own commandment. Last week we focused on God saying, have no other lowercase g-gods, right? Have no other gods before me. We're talking uppercase g-god, that's God, God in heaven, God the Father, Okay, and lowercase g God is just anything to that, is, uh, that that you're worshiping, right? It could be all kinds of different things. So that's lowercase g God. And God says, "Have no other gods before me." But He continues in this regulation that has to do with our relationship with God in the second commandment. We read this in Exodus chapter 20, verses number four through six, and it reads like this. God says you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for other gods. I lay the sin of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on all those who love me and obey my commandments. You think, why would God need to give this commandment? Why is it the second thing, the, the second rule that he's telling his people? What did it mean to the original audience that he that spoke these words to? And, and does it still matter to us? Does it, does it really apply to us in our day and age? Does it still matter? Well, yeah, it does. It does still matter. Even though some of you, you say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian, and that's Old Testament. It still matters. You know why it still matters? Because Jesus says that it still matters. I'm gonna put up on the screen uh, the the book of uh, Matthew. We're going to go to the Sermon on the Mount. And right after the Beatitudes, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter five or in verse number 17. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So our Lord, Jesus himself, says that the law and the commandments are relevant. They were relevant in his time. They're relevant in our time. That's why we're studying them right now. They are really important. I'm puzzled when people come to church and they bring, maybe they bring a Bible, but it's, it's just a, a New Testament Bible. And I know that New Testament Bibles are, are given out at events and they're... They're a little less expensive to just buy a, a New Testament Bible. But if you look at the amount of pages in the Bible itself, the New Testament's about one-third of the pages. I think reading just one-third of the Bible is like going into the kitchen and cooking one-third of dinner. Your whole family is there, and they've got a plate, and you're just putting this much on their plate, right? Right? If I, if I sit down to dinner, I want my entire meal. I don't want just a third of my dinner. I would like all of my dinner. Even more, if I only had a third of the, of the meal, then that means that my body is void of two-thirds of the nutrients that I need. There's things inside that. The, the food, the vegetables, the... the um, you know, all of the vitamins that, I, that my body needs and your body needs, if you're only eating a third of the food that you're supposed to, then two-thirds is missing. It would be fair to say that you need that to grow. Your body needs that. Your spiritual body needs the Old Testament. It does. It's part of the Bible. It is something that we need to study. If you want the full story, let's read the entire book. That's important. This morning, we're going to dive into the second commandment in a message that I have titled, Point A to Point B, Worship. When we read God's statement to us that you shall not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or of the sea most of us can in fact say that we don't have an idol at home up on the mantle um, and we're cool some of us would say okay you know what check that one off i'm good We've been a ministry now for two years, and I've been to many of your homes. And I will say, I will vouch for you that in in all the times that that I've been through homes of uh, people in our church, I have never seen a shrine. I have never seen an idol. So I'm with you. There's no idols in my house. Does that mean, though, that we can just put a check mark on this one and move on to the third commandment? No. No. It's deeper than that. It's deeper than just having a shrine in our house. It's talking about having a shrine in your heart. See, making an idol is not the same as having other gods that we focused on last week. Because an idol is something. It is something that it might, not even be, it might not even look like an idol. It might not be a little statue like this, but it might be something that you're worshiping. Our modern-day idols are very, very stealth. They might be hard to see, I don't want to dive deep into this. Point number one in your notes this morning. If, um, if you're joining us for the first time on your sermon notes, which you can find on our website right now at parisvalleycc.com, and you could print that out and follow along with us. Point number one in your notes this morning is this. How we worship and serve is just as important as who we worship and serve. You say, well... Pastor, I, I love to worship alone in my house. Um, that's just that's how I worship well. Or maybe I worship, wow, I worship so well in a big church with an awesome light show and a fog machine. That's, that's how I worship. And there's nothing wrong with the way you worship until there is something wrong with the way you worship. See, our worship becomes a problem when we place Anything between ourselves and God. Have you ever heard of this, this term? The quickest way to get somewhere is a straight line. So if you're going to the store, the quickest way to get to the store would be as the crow flies, a straight line from your house to the store. We can't do that. We've got to go on roads. The quickest way to get anywhere from point A to point B is a straight line line. That's how your relationship with God must be managed. Point A, your heart. Point B, God's heart. See, it means that when we're worshiping God, our worship goes from here. It goes from us, from our heart directly to God. Point A to point B. When we think of it in this context, point A to point B, it's very easy now to see and recognize an idol, and I'll show you how, okay? Whenever you take God from point B, and you move God to point C, and you put something in point B, you've created an idol. That is an idol. You, something, someone, somewhere... And God, there's something in the middle. That is an idol. Sometimes we feel that we need something or someone in point B for our prayers to, to get to the ear of God. Sometimes we feel that we need to something or, or someone uh, in point B for our worship to fill God's heart. Sometimes we feel that we need to be at a specific place, a church, a a temple, a parish. We need to be there in order to talk to God and to be close to God. That's putting something in the middle. That's putting something here at B. That is an idol. When you put anything, anyone... Any person, any emotion between you and God, you are guilty of adultery. I'm sorry, you're not guilty of adultery. You are guilty of idolatry. It's close. You know why God gave this commandment to his people, to his chosen people? Because he knew. He knew that they were prone to creating idols. They had just come out of Egypt where idols were all over the place. It was part of the culture that they lived in there. And now they're out in the desert. They are looking for something to represent God. And that's what God resents. He is not a fan of something that represents God because now it's in position B. He's in position C. I want you to see that that God himself says, I don't want you to have anything that represents me or anything that you feel reveals my nature. My nature, I am revealed in my word. You don't need an idol. You don't need something to reveal God. He reveals himself to us. So we're going to go back to the book of Numbers. We're going to go into chapter 21 and look at a story of of the, uh, the Israelites, they're uh, their, their out in the desert, they're on their way towards the promised land, and I want you to follow me, I'm going to put this up on the screen, it's Numbers chapter 21, we're in verse number 4. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, and they were taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, but the people grew impatient with the long journey And they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. We hate this horrible manna. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. I think it's so interesting that in Exodus chapter 20, We're told in the Ten Commandments not to make a a graven image, not to make an idol. And here in Numbers, God tells Moses to make a replica snake, to make something. But he told him to do it with a purpose. This was God's direct instruction, was to create this for, out of obedience but I want you to see how easy it is for people to take something that was made in obedience to God and turn it into an idol. This replica snake that Moses made. So we see the beginning of this snake made. We see the beginning of of that idol. And we're going to read the end of it it's the end of its life here in a moment. The people of Israel who were cured by this replica snake, someone held on to it. Someone continued as, as they went through the promised land, they spent time in Canaan. Somebody had it, and it became a piece that was worshiped. It even became a piece that people made sacrifices to, it became a stumbling block to, to the people. 720 years after Moses created this, 700 years after he created that snake, put it on a pole for a specific purpose, it's hanging around. That snake is still hanging around. I want you to come with me. We're going to put this on the screen. 2 Kings chapter 18. Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, began to rule over Judah. Verse 2, he was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. Verse 3, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrines, smashed the sacred altars, cut down the Asherah poles. Watch this. And he broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it it was a symbol that God brought amongst his people for a specific reason, and the people turned it into an idol. 720 years, look how many generations that was, that parents are teaching kids and kids are growing up becoming parents teaching their kids. We worship this snake. Here's point number two in your notes. Even religious emblems and symbols can become idols and often do. When we make something or we elevate something and we consider it holy, something that has become holy and and we need it for our worship, we've created an idol. Is uh, Is it an emblem? Is it a statue? Is it it a crucifix? Is it a a cross? Is it a rosary? If it is something that you need for your worship, it has now become an idol because we're putting it in position B, where God should be. See, we have a point A to point B relationship with God. We're not to put anything in the middle. There There are some churches that have elevated emblems, and other visuals and handheld items to a point of holiness and it puts them in a position, these items, of being needed to be able to talk to God. I don't see anything in the Bible that says you need this to talk to me. If you're praying to a... Crucifix. If you're praying to a cross, maybe you've got a cross necklace. If you, if you hold it in prayer and you can't pray with, without that. If, if you're praying to a fish symbol, maybe if you're, if you're praying to a statue of, of the Virgin Mary, if you're putting anything between your relationship with God, you are guilty of idolatry. It's a second commandment. I want you to see what Ro- Moses writes in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Verse 15, he says this, but be very careful. You did not see the Lord's, you did not see the Lord's form on the day he spoke to you from the heart of the fire on Mount Sinai. So do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form, whether of a man or a woman. An animal on the ground, a bird in the sky, a small animal that scurries on the ground, or a fish in the deepest sea. And when you look up into the sky and see the sun, the moon, the stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. The Lord your God gave them to all the peoples of the earth. Remember that the Lord rescued you from the iron smelting furnace of Egypt in order to make you his very own people and his special possession, which you are today. It's at this point in the sermon that most pastors are going to ask this question, what is your idol? What is it in your life that is between your heart and God's heart? Sometimes we'll wrap up the sermon and talk about Things like uh, maybe your money might be, uh, you know, your your boyfriend, girlfriend might be cars, might be, you know, what what is it, uh, you know, technology is that coming between you and God? Maybe it's um, maybe it's celebrity. Maybe it's your job that's becoming an idol. Maybe it's it's your work or maybe it's your rest. Maybe it's your garden. So these are all. Easy things to see we can we can see these we can talk about these and recognize these but what about those things that are not so easy to see and you say well I don't think anything's there let's let's take a look did you know that some of the most destructive idols are the idols that make their way into the church I'll be honest with you, it happens and idols come into the church and you say, "Well pastor, how, how is that? How, do, how does that happen? It might be it might be your money. could be. We have, uh, we have guidance from the Bible and on, on how to tithe, on how to give, there are some people who make their giving an idol. I give my 10% and maybe, you know, I even go out and I work extra so that I can make extra so that I can give extra. And now that giving has become an idol. Now, for those of you who just got excited, I don't want you to, I did not say that you don't have to tithe. That's how the church manages. That's how we function. That's how we, we move forward. And we're biblically obligated. We're told to do that. But there are people who will say, My gift, my money is, I'm going to go above and beyond. And like that, giving becomes an idol. Some people have this deep urge to give because because they feel that the more that they give, the more that God is going to love them. If you're going through, some people have this idea that if you're going through a rough patch in life, maybe you haven't given enough to God. You haven't, you haven't tithed enough to the church and, and that is going to, you put more money in the, in the plate and that is going to solve your problems. There is something to be said about obedience to the tithe and to our giving. And that is so important because as a church, we don't make it to two years without the obedience, people being obedient to the tithe. You know, we give our, our 10% to the Lord. But, does does God have a, a discipline for us who and who may break his commands? Yes. But can we solve that by giving more? No. No. Now, can we come closer to obedience by saying, okay, I'm going to catch up on my tithe? Okay, we can talk about that. But you cannot give to get out of a situation. You can't can't give money and make your life better. God's never said that the more you give, the better you'll live. This isn't a prosperity gospel. Some people see their money and their giving to the church. And they put it in position B. They put God at C, and now it's become an idol. What about your marriage? I know that there are some husbands here today who wouldn't be here if your wife didn't drag you to church. And I know there are some wives right now that are snickering and they're looking at their husbands right now. I know who you are. You don't have to raise your hand. Well, if we were live in person, I wouldn't have you raise your hand. But it happens, right? So I want to ask you, husband, when you think about your relationship with God, who do you really think about? Some guys would say, well, you know, my relationship with God is, I just go because it makes my wife happy. I just go because, you know, my husband wants to go, and I don't really care, but I go because of him. And I get it. Sometimes that's how we start. But let me ask you, if you're in that position, your relationship with God now comes through the lens of your marriage. You see that? You say, well, you know, if it wasn't for my wife, if it wasn't for my husband, you know, I wouldn't really go. What we've done is we've made our marriage an idol because we've put something, your wife or your husband, that's dragging you to church. You're going because of them, right? They're in position B. And that now has become an idol because you've moved God to position C. Your marriage can also be an idol. I'll tell you one of the biggest idols going on right now in the evangelical church, and it's one that anyone can get in trouble for, for even bringing it up. So I've got to tiptoe around this. In this day and age, a big idol right now is patriotism and politics. Some of you went like, whoa, I get that. Let me tell you something, and and this might shock some of you. But Jesus did not fly an American flag. I'm not going to lie to you. When people from all over the world, everywhere in the world, when they get to heaven, they are not going to see St. Peter with an eagle on his shoulder. So sometimes our patriotism, and especially right now in our current climate, we have this, this patriotism in, in, in our politics that are coming into our lives, and coming into the church. You know that Jesus cares about all people, even our leaders. And even our leaders that you don't like. You know that we're told to pray for our leaders and that they are appointed by God. Sometimes we have a problem with the leader so much that we say, well, God couldn't appoint this person. That means that we're putting ourselves in the position of God. And sometimes, and even right now, it seems like this this deep divide in our country will even come into the church and you say, well, you know, I'm I'm a Christian, but I hang out with only people who are within my party now. I'm saddened to know and to see that you, you can drive around America right now and you can see flags with names of candidates and you could count them in any town. But drive into any town and count the Christian flags that are flying in people's front yard. I guarantee you that number is going to be a lot lower. I don't see anyone driving around with trucks with the Christian flag flying. Sometimes our patriotism and our politics can become an idol. There are some people who will actually choose their church based on how they feel the pastor lands on the political spectrum. And if they get even the even idea that, they, that the pastor has a different political standing on a particular issue than they do, they're going to grab their tithe, they're going to grab their family, and they're going to go church hopping. That's when we can see that there is something between our hearts and God. This, pol- uh, politics and patriotism, In that situation has become an idol. We can even find idols in the church in the way of our worship. Maybe maybe you say, I like certain worship songs, or I like certain worship artists, or I'm only going to go to a church because they worship this way, or I'm only going to go to this church because they have a fog machine. Some of you know that we don't have a fog machine. I don't know that we ever will have a fog machine. But see, when the way you worship becomes more important than who you worship, your worship has become an idol. What about your ministry? Your ministry at the church? I know that you love God. I know that you deeply want to serve Him. And I know that you were grown. You you are part of the body of Christ. And you're part of the family. And and everyone in the family has a part to play. And we're all a different part. You might be a big toe. You might be a knee. You might be a hand or, or eyes. We all have this part to play. But when your ministry, watch this, when your ministry ever becomes about you your ministry has become an idol if you have ever thought my ministry wouldn't happen without me like I am the only one who could do it like this I show up early and I do my ministry and I do it great and then I go and I tell people how great I did my ministry And then I go home and start thinking about how great I can do my ministry next week. When your ministry becomes about you, your ministry has become an idol. It happens. It can happen in the church. There's a reason why our church is not named after a verb or named after an action. If you look at any of our marketing material, you're not going to find a person's face. I think I'm on the website somewhere. But we're not a church that is about us. Many of you have been with us for a while and you know that we have this this theme at our church that it's all about Jesus. It's not about us. This church doesn't want to be Point B. We don't want to be in the way of your relationship with God. You don't have to come to this church to worship God. You don't have to be with me, your pastor, in order to pray and know that God is hearing your prayers. We're all growing together. But your relationship with God is personal. It is in point A to point B worship when we pray we pray to God we don't pray to a priest or a pastor or not to a church we pray to God when we sing we sing to God not to a priest or a pastor Or at a specific church, we sing to God. When we study, we study for God. We don't study for a man or for a priest or a a pastor. We study for God. When we memorize scripture, we memorize scripture for God. Not for a man, not for a priest, not for a preacher, not for a church. We do it for God. When we long in our hearts, we long for God. We don't long for a priest, or a pastor, or man, or a church. We long for God. This morning we've looked at idols in worship. In the past, we looked at at God's people, and for the last few minutes we've been looking at Idols in our present, specifically in in our ministry and how they can sneak into church, we have now, we have to look and talk about idols in the future. I want you to come back with me to Exodus Exodus chapter 20. We're in verse number 5. Listen to this. This is God talking. He says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. This is point number three in your notes this morning. Idol worship destroys families. Wow. I've never heard that in a sermon like this before. Yeah, write it down. Idol worship destroys families. We can easily draw the line between idols that destroy families and and some issues that happen in our modern day. What else destroys families? Alcohol. Alcoholics can, can destroy their family. Um, They they can also destroy their relationship with maybe wives, husbands, relationship with the kids. Maybe it's domestic violence that destroys families, destroys a relationship between a husband and a wife, destroys a relationship with the kids in the house. There are consequences of sin. We see it in our world that our sin can affect our children let's not kid ourselves and think that yeah you know i i don't i don't worship any type of idol and, and and i don't have a statue up on the mantle in the living room i don't have a giant photograph in the in the living room that we worship but see when you put your money in point b or when you put your marriage in point B, when you put your ministry, when you put your job in point B, when you put your collection in point B, when you put your hobbies in point B between you and God, your children see you. Your children see what is important to you. Your children know what you are worshiping. Your children know what comes first in your heart. And you know what else? Because you do it, chances are your children think it's okay. You're a mom, you're a dad. You're a person of influence in the life of, of somebody who is looking up to you. You know that our wrongs transfer to our children. And our children... Can transfer it on. Most of us know somebody. Maybe, maybe you know an alcoholic in your family and you can see the destruction of that. You can see it personally. You know the relationships. And you might be able to see how, oh, my grandfather was an alcoholic and, and my, my dad followed in his footsteps and, and I'm do my best to keep out of it you can see how it goes from generation to generation more than one generation yeah it can affect more than one generation more than two generations Mm, maybe more than three generations it's it's happened it's happened before but look at what else this verse says let me read this again exodus chapter 20 verse number six But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. Now, your Bible might say this I lavish unfailing love on thousands or for thousands on those who love me and obey my commandments. In in the original Hebrew, many scholars look at this and they see a parallel between thousands and previous just a a few words back talking about generations, They, they look at this and say, hey, it's saying generations. Your Bibles might say thousands of generations. Isn't it amazing to think and to know that your influence on children, on others in your life, and your influence on how to properly worship God can influence thousands of generations? You know what that means? That means that you work to assure yourself that you're going to see your children in heaven. And you work to assure yourself that you're going to see your parents in heaven. And you work to assure yourself that you're going to see your siblings in heaven. And then you work with your kids to assure yourself that your grandkids are going to be in heaven. And now you work with your kids to, to assure that your great-grandchildren are going to be there with you in heaven. And then your children are influencing their grandparents and their grandkids. And your great-grandkids are influencing their kids. All to make sure that they're going to be in heaven. You see, your influence can can work its way down a thousand generations because of what you do, because of how you worship. You say, Well, Pastor, I thought the Bible says that children don't pay for the sins of their parents. No, they don't. They don't pay for the sins of their parents. We all have a choice, you have a choice. But what is influencing your choice? What is influencing your children's choice? Is your direction for them to worship their creator? Or is your direction for them, your influence for them, your children, showing them that it's okay to put an idol in point B? Finally, I want you to hear what Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah writes this in chapter 10, verse number 2. This is what the Lord says Do not act like the other nations who try and read their futures in the stars. Their ways are futile and foolish. They cut down a tree, and a craftsman carves an idol. Their gods are like helpless scarecrows, they can't speak. And they they need to be carried because they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of such gods, for they can neither harm you or do any good. Say this to those who worship other gods. Say this. Your so-called gods, who did not make the heavens and the earth, will vanish from the earth and from under the heavens. Idols are worthless. They are ridiculous lies. On the day of reckoning, they will all be destroyed. What is it? What is it that is getting between your heart, point A, and God's heart, point B? Have we moved God to point C so that we could put something else in between? What's here? Your relationship with God goes here. Point A to point B. You can pray to God. You can sing to God. You can worship God. You can thank God. But you don't need anything here. I am going to ask this morning what is in point B right now? Who is in point B right now? Is it a person? Is it an emotion? Is it a place? Is it an item? Is it politics? Is it a flag? Is it a nation? Is it a feeling? Is it anger? What, who is in point B? Because if it's not God, we are guilty of idolatry. That's the second commandment. Don't put anything where God belongs. He belongs here. What else is in your heart? You know He created this space? He created this space in your heart for Him to live. What have you moved into his living space? What's there? That's where God's supposed to live. Have we used God's space in our lives, that place that he created for himself so that we could be one-on-one, we can have a relationship with him? Have we used it for storage? Have we just put junk in that place? Old boxes, stuff that's broke down that we think that we'll get to later? Have we put idols where God's supposed to live? He wants to live there alone with you. My prayer this morning is that you will look into your heart and find what's there and ask God to help remove it so that he's not in position C anymore or even worse in position D or E because you've put numerous things here God we want you here so we can have a point A to point B relationship with you sometimes we need God's help to get these idols out of our lives he's there He could help. Maybe we need others to help us get these out of our lives. Whoever's in the chat room right now, talk to them. Talk to somebody, get a phone number, call somebody. We help each other. Somebody is part of this church body. Somebody is a caring shoulder and we could help. And that's our job is to help each other Be obedient to God's word. I'd ask you to pray with me this morning. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity to come together here in this online format to be able to praise you and to worship you and to study your word. And Lord, we thank you for 10 commandments and a Bible that's filled with even more direction for our lives, that we're not out here just floundering, trying to figure out how to praise you, how to worship you, that you've given us direction. You didn't give us restrictions. You gave us protections. And we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that everyone watching this morning will start doing a heart inventory to find out what is there in your space. Lord, we want you to grow stronger in our hearts. We want you to to totally move into this place that you created for yourself. Lord, this morning I wanna thank you for all of the moms. And I wanna thank you for all of the women of influence in our lives. Lord, you put them here on purpose. You put them here to influence us. Some of us have great relationships with our moms. Lord, some of us don't. Some some don't have a mom right here, right now, anymore. And Lord, I ask for you to touch their hearts and bring comfort to them on this day. And remind them that it's Mother's Day. And they could be a mom to somebody. They are a woman of influence to someone. Lord, let us, let us see how we are influencing others. Lord, thank you for moms. Thank you for those who are here, who care, and who love. Lord, we ask your hand upon us as we move back into our week. Lord, keep us safe. I ask for your hand over our leadership, our state leadership, our city leadership, our national leadership. Lord, we're not done in this crisis. We know that you have this. And we ask you just please to be with those who lead us. And Lord, even more right now, I pray for you to comfort the hearts of those who follow. Lord, we praise you today. We love you today. We worship you alone today. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.